All right, listen, guys, I get it. Many of you are unable to financially support this ministry because you're spending your cash and your lives on raising young children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Praise God for you and that endeavor. However, algorithms are a thing. Shadow banning, sadly, is a thing. And one major way that you can help to expand the reach and effectiveness of this ministry that doesn't cost you a dime is by spending just a few moments leaving us a five-star review. Also, perhaps even more effective than that, you can share our podcast with a friend. We hope you'll take the time to do so. Thank you so much. God bless. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're listening to Daily Truth. The last thing that I'll say is this, in terms of geographical fleeing, just for a moment. How do you know if God's calling you to leave California? How do you know if God's calling you, for some of you who have left Canada, How do you know if God's calling you to leave? And how do you reconcile that as faith rather than fear? It's easy to think that all fleeing is fearful fleeing. One, we remember that Christ commands us to flee at times. If they do not receive you, a town does not receive you. Shake the dust off your feet and flee from that town. For the Christian, when it's done in faith, in accordance and obedience to God's word, there's actually never really such a thing as fleeing. It's just advancing to the rear. You don't flee the battle. You're just advancing in the other direction. You're not leaving a fight. You're actually running to another fight, a better fight, a more strategic fight. So one thing that we should remember is Christ's commandments, that there are times his disciples are commanded by Christ to flee. But another thing that we should remember is is practical strategies of warfare. What Jim Wilson would call the decisive point or the strategic point. That you want to position yourself and your family in a place. And not just spiritually, not just metaphorically, but even physically, geographically, in a place that is winnable and significant. Both. Winnable and significant. Significant if it could be won. Manhattan is significant, but it's a foolish fight. But there are faithful Christians there, Joel. Yeah, and I think they're wrong, and I'm just going to say it. I think they're wrong. Tim Keller has been discipled more by Manhattan than he discipled Manhattan. After the decades of Tim Keller being in Manhattan, he looks more like New York than New York looks like Christ. You're not going to win. One day, every knee will bow. The nations are Christ's inheritance. Nations will be won. Cities will be won. But you've got to be able to decide, is this a suicide mission? Or is this the battle of Bunker's Hill? Right? There are certain battles in the Christian life and throughout the larger vein of church history that it's like there were more significant places They could have been one. This place, it's not like this was the the, the biggest or the best, but this was a place that was right there in the sweet spot, meaning it was significant enough to where this battle could turn the tide of the whole war. It was significant enough, but it also was winnable. And it was going to be won through blood, sweat, and tears. It wasn't easy, 
doesn't mean it's an easy battle. It's a significant battle for a significant place, but it's a battle that could actually be won, right? You got Manhattan on the one hand, and you've got the proverbial Timbuktu on the other. Timbuktu has, you know, 47 population, population of 47 people, and there's more cows and cats and dogs than there are children, right? We could win Timbuktu in a fortnight, right? We could all move there. Covenant Bible Church, we could move there, and we would just own that town, right? And that town belongs to Jesus. We won that battle. Well, some Christians are called to do that. I get it. That's fine. But in winning the war, we've got to win more than Timbuktu. Timbuktu, it's winnable, but it's not significant. It's not. And that's not to say, well, are, are you saying that souls don't matter, that one person is? Yes, one person is significant. Every time someone, a sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. I'm talking big picture general language. Not just foot soldier language. So you got to rise up to general language to understand the point that I'm making. Think like a general for a moment. So Manhattan, uh uh-uh. Significant, not winnable. Timbuktu, it's winnable, but it's not significant. And that's why Jim Wilson, not Doug, but Jim Wilson led his family to Moscow, Idaho over 40 years ago. Because Moscow was a small enough town, a population of less than 20,000 at the time, It was a small enough town in a deep red state that made it defensible, right? That that your children were going to be battling with you, but there was going to be a a reasonable degree of safety for your children. You weren't taking your children on a suicide mission to die. So it was defensible and it was winnable, a small town in a red state. But it was significant in the sense that Moscow was right in between two major universities, They were going to be churning out culture-shaping students for decades to come. The the surrounding universities, just a few miles away on either side, made the town, that, that geographic region, significant. But the small town in the red state made it defensible and winnable. I believe that Williamson County is such a place. That Williamson County, its its proximity to Austin gives it significance. But the fact that it's not Austin and that it's in Texas as a red state, barely, but a red state, uh, makes it defensible and winnable. I don't think we're going to win Travis County. I think we will eventually. Don't get me wrong. I think we're going to win everything eventually. But I'm talking about our life, our fight, this battle. Where do we go? I think with your life, with your gifts, with your strength, with your talents, with your treasures, where you go when deciding where to fight is you find the bunker's hill of your generation. That's what you do. Not, not what will, will be won 50 years from now or 500 years from now and not what could be won in, in, a, in a weekend on vacation, but, but you find the place that, that will take your life But it can be won. And it will be won through blood, sweat, and tears. But it's not a suicide mission where you're sending yourself and and your wife and your kids just to to go and die. Like, we're going to have martyrs throughout church history. We've had them before. We'll have them again. And the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed for the church, meaning the church grows in moments of tyranny. It grows with, with the inspiration that comes from those who give their lives for the faith. But listen, martyrs don't need to be created. 
Martyrs will occur. That will happen all on its own. But we don't need to look for opportunities to be martyrs. That's not the goal of the Christian. We're not saying, hey, where, what's the most glorious place where I will just inevitably, immediately become a martyr for Jesus? Let's go there. No, that we, we don't need that. We need, we need to be productive. We need to put up wins, right? Get back to the fundamentals. Buckets, Christians. Buckets. Score. Not just, it's not soccer. It's more like basketball. Soccer, uh, the goal is not to, to score. I've, I've realized. I've watched enough of soccer to realize that is not the goal. Nobody ever scores a goal. The goal of soccer is to fall over gloriously, right? Pretend that you broke every bone in your body when you barely tripped, right? That's, that's not what we want to do. We do not want to play soccer as Christians, right? Glorious, self-destructive martyrs for Christ that never even get close to putting a score on the board. Soccer is not the Christian life. Soccer is just, it's just a thin veil to, to get people to run long distances. I, I see the trick. I'm not falling for it, okay? Basketball, on the other hand, which I also don't like because I really don't like any sports, but basketball I can tolerate more because it's a high-scoring game. Things actually happen in basketball. Nothing happens in soccer. In basketball, things actually happen, and it's not just pretending to be hurt. Soccer is like theater, right? If you, if you, you know, the, the play, if Broadway is sold out, go to a soccer game. It's real close. But basketball is a sport. I don't like sports, but it qualifies as a sport. And basketball has scoring. It's not just drama. It's not just pretending to get hurt. That's the way we need to think about the Christian life. Yeah, it blood, sweat, and tears. It may cost, you may be a martyr, but it, if you're a martyr, that should be a surprise to you. An honor, a privilege to die for King Jesus, but not something that you planned, something that God in his sovereignty planned. Do you see the difference? You don't plan to be a martyr. You plan to get buckets. You plan to put up points. You plan to win, to push in your life, even if it's just an inch or two, to push for the crown rights of King Jesus, to move the ball up the field. Lots of analogies here, lots of different sports. That's our goal, the decisive point, the strategic point. It's significant, but it's also winnable. It's winnable. And if you're someone who's leaving Canada or New Zealand or Australia or Germany or California or Washington or wherever it might be, but you're thinking like that, you're not running from a fight, but you're actually running as reinforcements for a fight that we could actually win. You're not running from a fight. You're running from suicide mission to a fight. That's not fearful fleeing. That's courage. And you know what? It's not just courage. It's courage with wisdom. We've got some courageous people, but they're lacking in the wisdom category. Run to a battle that by God's grace, you can win. And there are multiple factors to consider that are clear commandments from Christ. Right? Providing for your household. If you can't provide for your household, you might need to move to a place where you can. And you might say, well, what about Christians in North Korea? What about Christians in China? What about this? What about that? Let, let me give you one clear distinction. They can't move. You are not a Christian in China. 
You are not a Christian in North Korea. They've got a great excuse. You know what their excuse is? They're trapped. You're not. If you live in the first world, especially if you are a citizen of the United States of America, you choosing to live in California is not equivalent to someone living in North Korea. They're living there because they have to. You're living there because you're stupid. There's a difference. There's a dynamic difference. And all that being said, I want to end with this. So going to where you can provide for your household, where you can build, right? If you live in the Sahara and you're a farmer, agriculture is your vocation. You should not be thinking, how can I make the Sahara fertile? You should be thinking, instead of trying to make the Sahara farmable, because I'm a farmer, why don't I leave the Sahara and go somewhere that has dirt instead of rocks and sand? Right? We want to we provide for our families, pr- protect our families. We want to win decisive points. We also we want to build long term. Places that actually can sustain building, where we can put deep roots, deep foundations. And we need to think in spiritual and practical terms. The last thing is this. Civil politics. Government. Joe Biden won the presidency. Think about this. By winning four states in their electoral vote. Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin. If you take the electoral college vote for those four states and combine it and give it to Trump, Trump would have beat Biden. I I think it would have been 275 to 265 in the electoral college. Now think about the last two years. I understand that the president isn't the only civil position that matters, but think about the things that have directly come about in our nation and the effect that it's had globally around the world from a Biden administration. Think about mandated vaccines. Think about Afghanistan and that debacle. Think about all the things over the last few years. Think about inflation. Just think about these things for a second. 87,000 new IRS agents getting trained for how to shoot weapons. They're not coming after the FTX guy. They're coming after anybody who has a $601 transaction in their PayPal account. Those people are being equipped to come after you. Now, I'm not saying Trump was the best guy in the world, but I'll say this. The best thing he ever said, they're not coming after me. They don't hate me. They hate you, and I'm just standing in the way. And I'm not saying that Trump is a Christian. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I will say he was a way better president than Biden. And not just better president than Biden. He was the best president in my lifetime. Because he actually did something. He actually did something. And, and not just America, but the world. Right? We talk about how we're called to love God and love your neighbor. One of the ways you love your neighbor is seeking justice in the civil realm. The world would have been better loved if we had Trump instead of Biden. And when it comes to the electoral college, I understand that Biden won the popular vote by 10 million, or so the record states. But in terms of the electoral college, he won by those four states, Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. And do you know what the popular vote for Biden in those four states all combined was? It's approximately 76,000 votes combined, all four of those states. It was like 10,000 in Arizona and 20,000 in Georgia. 76,000 combined. 
combined. Now think again, back to the principle, the decisive point. Winnable and yet significant. Okay, just to get real practical, there are multiple practical ways to think about it, like Williamson County in relation to, to Austin, right? But there's also ways to think about it in terms of a swing state, in terms of civil elections, right? Those four states, 76,000 votes combined, if they had gone for Trump instead of Biden, then he would have, by not a landslide, but he would have eked out an electoral college victory. And the world, not just our nation, because America affects the world, whether it should or shouldn't, the world would look radically different these last two years. And our neighbors would have been perfectly loved, no, but better loved. Better loved. Now, let me add one more piece of the puzzle. Six million people voted for Trump in California. Six million people took their vote, wadded it up, and flushed it down the toilet. That's what a vote for Trump in California is. You might say, well, six million, maybe we can win California. Nope. 12 million for Biden. It was not even close. The Trump voters, the conservatives in California were not even close to turning that state. Still aren't. I feel for the Californians, but here's something I had to learn the hard way. I lived there for a while. I was on mission for Jesus for a while. And then I had kids and grew up. But when I was there and, and I was thinking in a certain vein, in a certain way, I was thinking as a foot soldier, but not a general looking at a map and looking at the war and looking at Bunker's Hill and all these things. I, one of the things that I had to realize was this. I, I thought, you know, California needs Christians. California needs this. It needs that because these people are oppressed. But then one of the things I realized about California is this. The problem with California is not Gavin Newsom. The problem with California is Californians. G.K. Chesterton said, democracy is the belief that the people should get exactly what they want, good and hard. California is getting what California wants. They want it. They are not victims being oppressed against their will. The majority of Californians want godlessness. They want euthanasia. They want abortion on demand. They want to be a sanctuary state where someone can come from Oklahoma, fly over there on taxpayer dime, state taxes in California, covering the flight, covering the hotel, covering the meals, and covering the murder. It's not that way because a few elite politicians are, are oppressing all the victims that are powerless. No, it's that way because the people put them in power because they want wickedness. And it was not even close. Six million votes for Trump. 76,000. Do the math on that. We're not talking about 10%. That'd be 600,000. We're talking about barely over 1%. And not 1% of the total state population, which is 42 million. We're talking about barely over 1% of just the conservatives in California who voted for Trump. If you just got 1.25% of the Trump voting Californians to spread out and move to the four states I mentioned, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Nevada, the world would have been different. And I understand that that is not the kind of message that people want to hear especially people who currently live in California. 
But that's the kind of message that we need to hear. We need to hear orders, not preferences, not ideologues, but we need to hear practical marching orders from generals. We are in a war. You are not a rogue warrior. You don't get to fight as a vigil ante. You don't get to just do whatever you want. There are certain strategies that work, and there are suicide strategies that throughout the course of human history have always proven to fail. We cannot afford to fail. We owe it to our children, our grandchildren, and even our unbelieving neighbors because even non-Christians fare better in truer, more righteous context than those contexts which are wicked. We owe it. Elections matter. Say what you will about Trump, but Roe was overturned. Might want to hold on to that one. Everyone said that that would never happen. I remember John Piper like publicly arguing and even almost mocking Wayne Grudem because Wayne Grudem said all the way back before the 2016 election, he said, if Trump, he said, I understand his character. I understand this. I understand that. And I understand that he doesn't have a track record where we could actually believe that he's going to do these things, but we know Hillary won't. He might, she won't. And if he was, this is a strategic time in American history where you have on the Supreme Court, the highest court of the land, three, not two, not one, but three, he called it, he called his shot, Wayne Grudem, three judges that in that four-year period will be out. And if we get conservative ones, we could overturn Roe. And he was laughed at. And my goodness, if anybody makes me think maybe prophecy is still a gift for the church today, Wayne Grudem, call him a prophet. That guy nailed it. He nailed it. There are implications. Ideas have consequences. Elections have consequences. Where you live has consequences. What you fight has consequences. Which battle you choose to, to put your stake in the ground and say, this is where we fight. This is the hill we're willing to die on. It matters. It has consequences. We cannot afford, if we are to be faithful for King Jesus and push forward his crown rights in real tangible ways, not just his spiritual, ethereal uh, ruling and reigning in heaven, but he has all authority on earth and in heaven. If we want to push forward his kingdom in real tangible ways, we have to think practically. Spiritually informed by the scripture, theologically robust and rich, but practically. All the way down to where we live. And yes... Brothers and sisters, there is a biblical doctrine for fleeing. And like Moses, there is a way to flee without fear. Not running from a fight, but running from a fight that you shouldn't fight to begin with and running to another fight where you're going to clean up. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.